Are you ready to be a better, more successful, and open-minded trader and investor? I'm Serge Berger, head trader and investment strategist at thestudytrader.com, and I want to help you get there. Whether you've been investing for years or are just getting your feet wet, this podcast will help you cut through the noise and get dialed in on the big picture. We will utilize research, guest interviews, and real-time analysis of the market. We're at a critical juncture in the market where knowledge really will mean power. Hey, everybody. It's Serge Berger here. I'm your host of the Steady Wealth Podcast. I hope everyone has uh, got well through the first quarter. Unbelievable. We're already in the second quarter here of 2023. It's been an eventful one, one that um, I hope we were, with our insight, at least in part, uh, able to help you navigate through. I know for lots of investors and traders, this is their first go around in terms of um, an, an environment where stocks don't just go up every month and year and quarter and day almost. And so uh, I'm trying to do everything we can through the help of our Steady Wealth podcast, do everything we do over at thestudytrader.com. Uh, certainly what we do over at bluemarlinadvisors.com, which is our in investment advisory firm. And everywhere else we have an outlet, um, which reminds me, please check out our YouTube channel. I am doing uh, lots of YouTube shorts, as it's called. They're little 15 to usually 60 second videos throughout the day to update people on our moves uh, in the markets, thoughts, um, real-time thoughts uh, in terms of uh, what we're doing in the markets, uh, research uh, I'm getting sent to me and or I'm, I'm having uh, discussions with other portfolio managers. So um, just go to uh, YouTube and type in The Steady Trader or you can even just type in my name, I think, and you should come to the official uh, The Steady Trader page uh, where uh, you will be able to follow us throughout the day, throughout the week, in real time uh, on YouTube Shorts. I think that is a wonderful platform, and uh, I would love to have you guys be able to follow us there and uh, us to be able to help you out uh, even more in managing your own money. Having said that, we are sitting here in early April 2023. Um, the first quarter for equities was very bullish. Of course, the NASDAQ 100, which a lot of people are focusing on because it's largely comprised of the few stocks that everyone owns, the Apple, the Microsofts, the Amazons of the world, and the Googles of the world. Great companies in their own right, of course, at least in my humble opinion. But in the first quarter, the NASDAQ 100 did about 18% for the first quarter. Now, to be clear, it actually made 18% in the first month. So the NASDAQ 100 was more or less up about 18% or thereabouts, maybe it was 17% in literally the first month or the year or the first, I think it was the first month and the couple of days. So by like early February, and I think like it was literally February 2nd or 3rd, the NASDAQ 100, not to be mistaken with the NASDAQ composite, which is made up of more stocks, was up 18% for the year. Um, it ended up the, set, the, the whole first quarter roughly in the same spot. So basically then throughout the rest of February and then March, it, you know, 
basically treaded water, but that was a hell of a start to the year and obviously a great quarter. So the question now becomes, you know, is this really sustainable? Uh, are stocks going to continue rallying at this rate? Uh, I'll spoiler alert. Uh, no, is our short answer. And if you've been watching or listening to our podcast here over the past number of months in a couple of quarters, um, I think you probably understand why I will, of course, reiterate why that is. But now that we've had a, the first quarter out of the way and we're moving into the month of April, um, the question really now becomes, you know, can we time the next leg lower? I think we're at a point and a juncture in the economy where that is actually quite possible. It's never easy. It's usually more difficult than we care to admit to ourselves, even if for those of us that have done this a few times before in bear markets. But I do think it's possible. Now, before we even talk about this and why I think equities are ready to resume lower, um, risk assets in general, why I think they are ready to resume lower, let's talk uh, for a minute a little bit about um, the, the seasonality part. I actually made a whole podcast on seasonality, or at least in part on seasonality, just a little while ago. And essentially what I said, and I'm going to just quickly reiterate this here and just in, sum it up in, in a few seconds. But essentially, stock market seasonality is a nice tool to have. However, one must take it with a grain of salt, meaning one must respect the fact that in bear markets, seasonality is nowhere near as reliable. So for example, if one were to look at stock market seasonality, the month of April is actually tends to be a tremendous month for equities. Um, it often tends to be the best uh, month of the year. And I can tell you empirically, the month of April uh, you know, not just historically speaking, looking at charts, but I'm having lived through it for now a couple of more than two decades. Um, I can tell you the month of April is actually strong for stocks unless we're in a recession or unless we're in a heightened environment where the risk of bad news coming out at an accelerated rate is is there and which I think is what we're in right now. I think we're in an, in an economic environment where the chance of a negative surprises and headlines that are going to catch people off guard is above average. And when you're in an environment like that, then seasonality is really not that helpful. It's good to know. And we want to, we do want to respect seasonality. In fact, I had a quick chat with one of my colleagues here in the office about seasonality and and we kind of reminded each other, having both lived and traded through the dot-com crash, that guess what? The dot-com crash, in part, which is in the year 2000, happened in the month of April. Okay, so it's just to keep in mind, I think that's important. And if I look at positioning, and this gets us into the conversation that I really want to have, um, if I look at positioning right now in the markets, I see a lot of people, you know, and I think I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard this over the past number of weeks, two months. A lot of people are throwing around this term no landing or soft landing, all those kinds of things. I, I just think it's misplaced. And, and I have no disrespect for people who say that, by the way, this is not to attack them. This is simply just a different, you know, different man, different opinion. But that's what makes markets, to be honest, right? That's, that's what makes you need different opinions. Otherwise, you have no market. So let's, let's discuss a little bit why. First of all, from a positioning perspective, coming into the new year, or actually rounding off 2022 in December, the, the further we got into December, the more I heard the same rhetoric, which that rhetoric was that uh, people thought that we we're going to have a horrible first quarter, first half of 2023, and then things would improve in the back end. 
That was actually my base case too, in full disclosure, as we kind of worked through uh, the month, the latter parts of October, and then into November and through November of 2022. However, the fact that we didn't really get any real capitulatory sell-off in the month of December, um, or even any real weakness worth notable. And then on top of that, everyone seemingly had adopted that very same view that I had, which was, again, a horrible first quarter of 2023, and then things improve, or at least improve in the back half. The more I had to say to myself, listen, I don't think this is going to work out, or I think the odds are now lower of that working out. And so inevitably, what ended up happening is that a lot of people, because of you know, a lot of people, or at least money managers that that are that come on the tape, they tend to, to at least be honest about what they own because you can see it if you look at their filings. Were probably caught short the market, and and even if they were not caught short, and if, even if they were not actually net net short the market, they were probably under allocated to risk assets, which meant that as the squeeze began coming into the new year and. You know, if you look at the chart, you can pull up a chart of the NASDAQ 100, the S&P, and look at it. I mean, literally by the 6th of January, so this is like two or three trading sessions into 2023, um, the NASDAQ was off like a scolded monkey, right? Rallying like 7 or 8% over the course of the ensuing uh, 7 or 8, t- 10 trading these th- days, um, and then ultimately, again, totally being up, uh, yeah, something like 18%, something like crazy, right? So people were caught off guard, and so you had that natural squeeze. And these squeezes don't usually end on a dime. They take time, and they take a couple of waves. So that's what happened. Now, at the same time as that was happening, interest rates began to top out. And this is something that I have been uh, discussing now uh, more and more. Uh, and again, just look back at some of the recent podcasts we've been talking about why the Fed or when the Fed might cut rates. I think it could be sooner rather than later. And that basically means at some point in the remaining party of 2023, we're in April. So there's a lot left on the clock, of course. I think what's interesting to note is that as economic data got worse, the bond market picked up on this. Two-year yields went from five and a, let's call it five and change, 5.08% or something like that, down to as low as recently 3.57%. Currently, as I'm recording this, the 10 three yields are around two, the three, 3.8%. Three and five eighths. So essentially what that means is that the bond market's picking up on this, but the equity market until just recently, like literally as I'm recording this here in early April, just before Easter, um, the equity market hasn't really respected that. Now, when I say the equity market, I need to be clear, it's a few stocks. And I do want to address that point here in just a second, because the equal weighted S&P has, I think, woken up to it. But this is what's happening right now. We're, we, we had that short squeeze or at least squeezing the weak hands, meaning the people that were caught short or underallocated. So they were forced to cover and add stocks um, that they didn't own. So they were back in, in line with, with how their positioning is supposed to be to kind of show their investors. But as that was happening, the bond market realized that things were getting worse and the bond market realized this at the latest by the bank failures. So that's basically as of the 9th of March, 2023, very clearly, that's when two yield yields topped out the day before or the night before, and then they gapped, essentially gapped lower, which is how bear markets tend to work. Things tend to go back in the, in the primary direction very quickly in the equity market, at least, um, as well as in the bond market uh, as well. But either way, the bond market's waking up to this. The equity market has not yet fully uh, wanted to, to listen to this. And, um, and, and, that's, and that, by the way, is very typical, right? Now, 
Let's talk a little bit about more economic data that's come out literally just a few days ago. So for example, a few days ago, we had something called the Joel's Jobs Report. So the Joel's Jobs Report is essentially, uh, it's like a, it's just a job. Let's, let's put it, but it's just like a jobs report. Like I'm actually recording this here just before uh, Friday uh, for when we get the the March payrolls and I'm from payrolls. Now, of course, you're going to get be able to listen to this as of Monday after Easter. The day timing here doesn't matter so much. It's more about updating you here sort of week over week. Um, but the jobs report was interesting in that it came in weaker. It came in not only a little bit weaker than expected, but also it's starting to make lower lows. So if I, I'm looking at that data right now, and we're actually having the least jobs open since basically the pandemic now, and the pandemic being described here as something that was like around the middle part of 2021. So the least amount of jobs openings since the middle part of 2021. So again, more or less right in the middle of the pandemic still. Um, we also had, and this to me, this is an even more important data point. We also had the Purchasing Manufacturers Index, the ISM PMI as it stands, uh, which came in even lower. I think it printed 46.3. Anything below 50 essentially reads contraction in the economy, in the manufacturing economy, uh, which of course is important. So this data is getting worse. At the same time, and as I've talked about in previous podcasts over the past number of weeks, we are, of course, having this problem with the banks. The regional banks, money is, uh, deposits are fleeing, which is not necessarily a, a um, reflection of the credit quality of these banks, but it's, quite frankly, the right thing to do if you're a depositor and you have cash. So if you're a depositor and you have cash, why would you keep your money into, in, in a bank account that pays you, you know, less than half, than less than 1%? Now, some banks are not paying more. But that's going to squeeze their margins as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute as well. So anyway, so, so you can make a lot more money. You can make four and a half, five percent, depending on how you allocated in essentially risk-free paper that's government back short term. Why would you make less than 1% at a bank where you're not even beating inflation by any stretch of the imagination? You're having negative real returns. So now, now people are able to get positive real returns because inflation break-evens or inflation, forward-looking inflation is now quite low. In fact, it's lower than, than the rate on, uh, of these, you know, four and a half, five percent yields you can get, which is, which is great, which means you beat inflation. If you get one percent at your bank, you're obviously not beating inflation. You're losing to inflation by about three or so percent, depending on, depending on what day you look. So that's important. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the equity market and why I think we're getting closer and closer to a point where the equity market is likely going to start topping out again and resuming the bear market. Bearing in mind that we have the seasonality that I talked about, the April seasonality, which does tend to be strong. So we don't want to ignore that. We want to, in fact, very much respect the fact that April can be a strong month. And particularly, April can be a strong month in a uh, in a year before a presidential election. So this is important. And a lot of people point this out. It's, it's a statistic that I, I don't think it's, it's as important this year, but it's one we don't want to discount. So just keep that in mind. At the same time, though, the equity market is essentially living on borrowed time, in my view. That means if you look at the performance of the S&P 500 uh, and you see that the S&P 500 is now, as I'm recording this, uh, is up still, let's see, let me see what the performance is. It's still up about roughly about 7 or 8% for the year, which is again, more or less where it was in early February, so it hasn't made any headway. Um, but if I look at the equally weight S&P 500, and this, this is actually really important to understand, the equally weighted S&P 500 is essentially flat for the year. 
here as I'm recording this here just before Easter uh, in uh, April 2023. What is that balance? Why is the S&P 500, the regular S&P 500, the market capitalization uh, weighted S&P, why is it outperforming the equally weighted S&P 500? And by the way, the equally weighted S&P, you can follow and track that using an ETF by the ticker symbol RSP. So RSP as in Peter, okay? That is your equally weighted uh, S&P 500 Invesco uh, ETF that you can follow. And again, it's basically flat on the year as I'm recording this here right now before ESG 2023. Why is that? Well, I think a lot of you probably guessed it. We've, we've talked about this issue for, I think, five years now. It's the Apples of the world. It's the Microsofts of the world. And of course, it's the Googles and those kind of things and stocks in the world that are essentially carrying all the weight of that index. Apple makes up 7.14% of, of the S&P as I'm speaking right now. Microsoft, six. Amazon, it's a little bit less than three and a quarter. NVIDIA, two. And then you have... Um, the Googles, which make up about uh, not quite 4% and Tesla and so on and so forth. But essentially, if you just take Microsoft and Apple, that's literally 13% of the S&P. And of course, they have a positive correlation. If they do well, you get other tech names just by way of automated trading. They do well, right? So machines look at what's Apple and Microsoft doing. Oh, they're going up. Well, I'm a machine, you know, a bunch of zeros and ones. I'm just going to go buy in some other tech stocks as well. So that's that has a direct correlation effect. And even with all that, even the fact that it's all based on a few stocks that people have flocked to because interest rates came lower. And I did record a podcast just last week. Go have a listen to that one, which talked about when will the Fed cut interest rates. Go listen to that one because... What's important to understand is that at the initial part of when rates go lower in a recession, when interest rates start to move lower, that initial leg lower, stocks, equities tend to like that because they mistake it for um, everything is good. You know, we can now um, have a, a higher net present value on a discounted cash flow model when you discount back your future cash flows, a company throws off and all is good. However, that comes home to roost when people realize that interest rates are going lower, not because things are good, but quite frankly, because things are actually getting worse, right? So let's talk a little bit more specifically where I think we could go, S&P target levels, you know, when could we get to where, that kind of stuff. I don't want to be too granular because obviously, you know, if you watch this even a few days after we post it, it may be somewhat out of date given the fact that this is um, looking at the market here on a somewhat near-term basis. However, I do want to make a couple important notes here as it relates to the broader market. So the S&P 500, I have essentially a line in the sand around 4,200. If the S&P manages to push and hold above 4,200, and it's an if, I would argue that we then could see it squeezed to 4,300, it still wouldn't change my bear case, but I would have to push out the date at which I think equity should go lower again. That's important to note. I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. It's not my base case. But if that happens, if the S&P starts turning course here and starts going lower again, again, we're, as I'm recording this, we're around 4,100. We're in that 4,100 to 4,200 zone. If we start to turn lower here, um, and interest rates are indicating that that is likely going to happen, then I think we could start to see by early midsummer, we could start to see the market be at a point where the real panic 
has either set in, begun to set in, or has almost run its course. I don't know. I can't time it that closely because that's that would be that's impossible anyway. But I think between here and early midsummer, uh, maybe it's more like midsummer. We get to a point where. We have the chance of breaking below the year-to-date lows, which are around 3,800, 3, and ultimately break below the October 2022 lows, which was around 3,500 and change. So I think the odds are there now. Um, what about stocks? Which ones might do the most damage or so forth? Well, a lot of stuff that hasn't corrected enough yet is probably going to be the kind of stuff that could go down a lot. Maybe not a lot in absolute terms, but it's going to feel the worst. Like Apple. I have absolutely no quibbles with Apple. I actually really love Apple. I love the company. I own all the products. Personally, you may disagree. You may, you may agree. It doesn't really matter. It's about the stock, right? I think Apple could turn on a dime here and start going back down to the low 130s, high 120s over the course of a couple of months. That is going to really, really hurt. Not just Apple, the stock. It's going to hurt the indices for the aforementioned reasons. And it's really going to hurt a lot of individual investors because if Apple goes down and that's all they read about every day in the news, psychologically, they're going to start looking at their portfolio. They're going to realize that portfolio has a snowball effect. Apple goes down, algorithms switch to selling everything and so on and so forth. So I think Apple, and I know this this may be, and quite frankly, it feels like a bit of an oversimplification, but Apple to me is where the biggest pain point will be for a lot of investors psychologically, but also just you know, monetarily, meaning actually looking at their portfolios, because there's so much betting on that one stock. And so many things can go wrong when algorithms start doing certain things because Apple does one thing uh, and so on and so forth. What about gold? And, and, and I did want to bring up gold because it's such an important topic nowadays. Everyone talks about it, rightly so. Gold tends to do well when we have a real interest rates go lower. Let me repeat that. Gold tends to do well, historically speaking, when real interest rates tend to go lower. So what does that mean? Well, if real interest rates are defined as nominal interest rates, so let's say the yield on your five-year treasury note, subtracting inflation expectations, or the rate of inflation, if you will, that gives you the real yield. If those are going lower, which is what's happening now, and we think that's going to continue to happen throughout 2023, then the price of gold should do well. I own gold. I've added more gold. We added more, we have it um, gold as, as something uh, on the buy list for our uh, various uh, subscription products at uh, thestudytrader.com. And also we own gold and we've been increasing our allocation over the past uh, number of months to gold at Blue Marlin Advisors at our reclined portfolios that we manage. Okay, so I'm, I'm talking my book here and I'm just being fully honest and transparent. However, and this is important, even though I think gold could go higher and I, and I do think that gold could go to 2,500 in the not too distant future over the course of a few quarters. Um, and I think it could go towards 3,000 over the course of maybe a couple of years. However, and this is really important, if and when we get to the point where stocks have that real capitulatory price action, when people throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater, then you are going to see gold act poorly for a period of time. And I've said this time and time again, and I, I literally probably repeat it almost daily to our clients over at the study trader, particularly those that use our market rover product, to make them understand gold is in a bullish trend. Our quantitative models and our market rover has been giving us the green light on gold to buy it from a trending asset perspective or through the lens of a trending asset essentially since February of this year. 
However, gold will go lower if the broader market gets into a true risk off phase, like real capitulation, people panic and so on and so forth. Why? The reason is very simple. It has to do with source of funds. If you need to raise funds, if you get a margin call and you need to raise funds to meet the margin call, you're going to take that from wherever you can. And one of the things that people usually can sell is gold. They are usually able to, to sell gold because gold, not only right now are most people in a profit because it's at all time highs, but also it's something that they can get out usually from a liquidity perspective. Okay. So gold will go down and even worse, what will go down even more will be gold miners, but it will be in our view, temporary, temporary pullback. So you might see gold and I'm just quickly going to pull up a chart. I'm looking at gold futures as a reference point to spot, but I, I would not be surprised if gold essentially retraces back to a breakout area, some somewhere around 900, 1900. So 1,900. A lot of people are going to feel like that's the end of the world, but it's really just going to be a pullback and it will be because people are selling gold to raise funds for their margin calls they, they received because the equity market's going down. But that'll probably be a great point to add to a, a lot more to gold if one has a bit of a longer term view, meaning um, at least a, a end of the year to you know one to two year view kind of thing. So that's what we're thinking here right now in terms of risk assets and not so risk assets like uh, uh, treasury notes and bonds and bills. Um, I hope it's helpful. Again, if you are interested in following us more closely throughout the day, throughout updates uh, from the trading desk, things we're doing, things we're hearing, things we're seeing, go to our YouTube channel. You just uh, type in the study trader into YouTube and then click on shorts, YouTube shorts. Those are like those 30 to 60 second videos. Um, the long form videos are, of course, the normal YouTube videos, but the 30 second videos, it's almost like a little, like an Instagram post, but in video, if you will. And I feel, I feel like it's a tremendous platform. and. Um, Hope to see you guys over there. In the meantime, uh, be well, trade and well, stay safe, and we'll talk to you in the next Study Wealth Podcast. Thanks for listening.